sit and sing of the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone in your presence
Well, we're going to continue on today in our study of Second Peter, and we're going to be beginning uh, at verse 10 uh, of chapter 3. But as, as I look at where we're going now, I'm titling this message, The Rapture and the Second Coming, because Peter is getting into the meat of what I believe he wants to talk about in this chapter. And when I was studying this, it, it, I was reminded of how when I was in the business world, how I would prepare myself prior to a vacation. And uh, I would work really organized and really hard and effectively because I knew that I was going to be gone for a week or two. And I wanted to make sure that all of the loose ends were tied up before I left. And I was working very hard and got a lot of things done. I wanted to take care of all my customer issues the best I could before I left. I didn't want anybody, anything hanging and uh, I just was as organized as possible so that I could enjoy my vacation and hopefully come back to a somewhat of a controlled environment. <laughs> that it wasn't out of control when I came home because sometimes vacations, you have to come home, have a vacation from your vacation. Um, so um, as I was thinking about that, I was wondering why couldn't I work that way all the time? If I could have been that proactive, all the time, I wondered how much more effective and productive I could be in my job if I could be that focused and that organized. And quite honestly, it, it's exactly kind of what we're talking about now in the church because we are winding down to the end of time and the last-minute details need to be taken care of if we're going to be prepared for what's coming. And so that analogy is for me today in my spiritual life. And it's in your spiritual life as well, that are we as productive as possible knowing that Jesus could come at any time, literally. The rapture is the next big event that's going to happen. Now, we, we believe in this church and in the Assemblies of God, we are pre-trib believers, we believe the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation starts. And so today I want to talk to you about the nomenclature and the terminology that, we're, that we talk about all the time. Now Peter was just starting to talk about that in this chapter. He, have, he has been spending his time so far basically dealing with the church and persecutions both within and without the church coming outside of the church, and now we're going to be talking about the hope 
of what we have to look forward to as we persevere through the toils and the tribulations and the persecutions that have been happening to the church. And he starts us off with our text today, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Um, you know what? Why don't you do this? Just stand up with me as you read the text. That would be nice. Stand up and read it with me out loud. Use your voice with me. And let's read chapter 3, verse 10. It says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this short but powerful passage. And Lord, you speak so much here in this. And I pray that you give us the ability to discern it, to study it, to understand it, to be prepared for it. And I ask you that you would open our eyes in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. So we need to stop here for a minute and look at this verse closely. Because Peter is saying some things here that that we need to examine. What is he referring to? What is the day of the Lord that he's talking about that will come like a thief? What is the day of the Lord? Now, I will say that it is not a 24-hour period of time. That much we need to understand for sure, that it's not, a, it's not a day. But the day of the Lord refers to a broad period of time, beginning with the rapture of the church, which we'll talk about in more detail, and it ends with the destruction of the present heavens and the, and the, and the earth and it, with the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. It ends with the second coming. So in regards to the terminology, the end days that you've heard people talk about, the end days describes the period of time that precedes the time period called the day of the Lord. The end days describe a time period that precede the time called the day of the Lord. Getting terminology correct is very important. Now, we're living in the end days right now. We're living in the end days, and the end days began the day that Jesus was, when, when he ascended into heaven. And we read about this last week, and I want to read it again. It's talked about in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And it says, he, who is he? Jesus was taken up before their very eyes. Their eyes were the disciples. Okay, so Jesus was with the disciples and he was ascending into heaven. So Jesus is taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Verse 10, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Basically, the angels were describing to the disciples that as you've seen Jesus ascend into the clouds, that he's going to come back in the clouds at the rapture. So that began the end days. Now, it's been about 2,000 years or so since that time. And now, if that's the case, we are in the latter days of the end days. And I believe with everything that's going around us, and many scholars believe as well, that with everything that's happening prophetically with Israel 
and the way things are just lining up that we are in the end of the end days. And the rapture is the next big event to happen. All right, so the, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, as, we've, as, we, described, as we talked about in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, the day of the Lord occur, occurs after the rapture, and it describes the time period of God's judgment after the rapture, after the church is taken out of the world, the period, the seven-year period of tribulation is, could be, in this context, described as the day of the Lord. And whenever you see the day or the day of the Lord mentioned in Scripture, it's typically come with judgment. It's typically defining the judgment of God on an unbelieving people. And it's typically not something you want to be a part of. <laughs> because the judgment of God is against unbelievers is righteous judgment. And God is a holy judge. So today, I want to spend the time that we have to discuss the concepts of the end days, the day of the Lord, how they differ and how they relate, so that we can make sure that we don't get confused with what's being said. These are two different time periods, and they end with two different very important events. The end days... And the day of the Lord are two different time periods, and they end with different events, okay? The end days began when Jesus ascended into heaven and ends with the rapture, okay? The day of the Lord begins with the rapture and ends with the second coming. So we've got our time frame figured out. Study it. It's in your notes. I handed it out. So let's start by talking a little, a little bit about the rapture. The rapture is not a word that's used in Scripture. So you cannot find it in the Scripture as the rapture. But it comes from the Latin word raptu, which means caught up or taken away. Caught away or caught up. The equivalent Greek word is harpazo, and it is also translated as caught up. So from these words, we get the word rapture and the concept is that this is the description that happens at the end of days at the end of the end days when Jesus comes back to take his church so the bible records that there's two different times when Jesus comes back to the earth neither what neither one has happened yet well really three times he came as a baby right he lived for 33 years, died, rose again, ascended to heaven. So that, he came first as a, as a human form, as a baby. That gives us our salvation. Now, the two other events that are happening is the rapture and the second coming, and neither one of these has, have happened yet. Two separate events. Not to be confused as the same. The rapture being the first return of Christ is something that could occur at any moment without any further warning. We've already been given warnings. The prophecies have already been laid out. We're already seeing things come to pass. There is nothing stopping the rapture of the church from happening right now. It's the next big event. The second coming, however, 
is the second time Jesus returns to the earth. And this time, it's at the end of the seven-year tribulation. Two different times, two, two different events, two different purposes. During the rapture, Jesus never actually touches earth. He never touches his foot on earth at the rapture. Because you remember the angel said, you will see him coming back as you saw him go. They saw him hide. They they saw him lift off and be hidden by the clouds. And the second time he comes, the rapture, the rapture, he comes in the clouds, but he doesn't come any further. He stays in the clouds and we then are caught up and we meet him in the clouds. This is referenced by Paul in the, in his writings to the church of Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 17. Let's read this. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. So the rapture event, Jesus never touches earth. Rather, there's a trumpet call and only those that are ready for him will hear it. The world will not know it. The world will not hear the trumpet. They will not hear the call. All the world will see is all of a sudden those that are ready will be gone in an instant and a pile of clothes, assuming they have them on, <laughs> will be left on the ground. And if a nudist colony, I guess you don't know if they're coming. I don't know. But if you're, if you're wearing clothes, boom, you're just gone. There's a pile of clothes in the ground and you are gone. You have met Jesus in the air. That is called the rapture. Amen. Those that have died already, they will be instantly sent back to the earth to also be raptured, preceding those who are still alive. This means that the generation of people, which very well could be you and I today, that are alive for the rapture will never physically die. We may never see death. Other, other than all we may do is rather we will just simply be changed from an earthly body into a heavenly body. Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 55. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Let me pause here for a minute. Um, When we were living in Royal Oak, we were going to the Ferndale Assembly of God Church, which is pastored by Bob Bradley. And we were just having kids at that time. Our kids were in the nursery. And uh, my wife, in her creativity, painted a sign that went in the nursery and said, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. (laughs) So that's a good nursery slogan. (laughs) We will not all sleep, but we all will be changed. So anyway, come back to the verse. 52, verse 52. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet... For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. 
For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? I love this passage. And Paul starts it off. He he said he calls this a mystery. Why is this a mystery? Because it's something that our minds just can't quite get around it. We can't comprehend how this is going to happen. I mean, the fact that, that God is going to change us instantly, I mean, in the twinkling of an eye, faster than you, you can blink, we're going to be gone. And in that time period, he is going to send those that have already died back to the grave to be risen before us so that we will follow them in the air. So how in the world can God do this? I have no idea. But he is going to, no matter what the condition of the body is, no matter if that person was cremated or lost at sea or destroyed some other way or dismembered some crazy way through a bomb, God is going to somehow be able to recreate that person's physical body so that that person will rise from the dead and we will follow them and we will be right behind them in the air. Now, what that says to me is that God thinks there is something special about the human body. Why would he care? Why would he have to recreate us if they've already died? Why would he have to recreate the human body so that it can be changed like us or the generation that isn't going to die, that our bodies would be changed to be eternal like theirs? Well, because God created the human body perfectly. And I think God is saying this. I think he's saying, Satan, you will never get the last punch on me. You destroyed the human body. You destroyed it through sin. And I'm going to show you how powerful I am because I'm going to recreate it from nothing again. And I'm going to change it because it's my job. It's my rules, it's my home, and it's not yours. And death, you will have not the victory because I am going to resurrect it and I'm going to show you that I am more powerful than anything in this world because I'm going to recreate it so that I can change it. Because he can. Just because he can. (laughs) And I think that's awesome that God in his power will just conquer death and he'll say, death, where is your sting? I love that passage. All right, so where are we here? Let's just talk a minute. We're describing the rapture of the church that is basically here. It's going to take the church out of this world that we're living in right now that is, we know it's in a spiral. He's going to take the church out before the day of the Lord, which is the wrath of God that's going to be poured out on the world that has rejected him and that have ignored his promises, ignored him in his redemption, and he's going to then pour out wrath. Now, there's really, there's really so much here. I can't cover it all. There's another purpose for the tribulation, too, and that's, all, and that's for the Jewish people because it's going to be a time where the Jewish people are going to save Israel. That's a whole different, really, teaching that I can get into today, but there's going to be 144,000 Jewish missionaries that are going to go through the world, and it's, their intent is to save Israel. 
The Gentiles, we're going to be punished. There is a punishment. There's a judgment coming. That's why it's called the day of the Lord. So the rapture, or the, I'm sorry, the tribulation has two different purposes. One is to the wrath of God, and the other is for the Jewish missionaries, 144,000, to go throughout the world and save Israel. And that's a whole different discussion. But the tribulation, though, let me just tell it this much. The tribulation, as described by Jesus in the book of Matthew, and then also all through Revelation, is going to be a time that this world has never, ever seen of turmoil and persecution and punishment. Matthew chapter 24, verses 21 through 22. This is, this is Jesus speaking. He says, For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. In those, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. So that's what the end of the tribulation is going to be like. But first, the rapture must occur, must happen. And the rapture triggers the beginning of the tribulation. Are you following me so far? All right, so the, the rapture occurs, the tribulation begins, and that is a seven-year period of time. Seven years. The first three and a half years are relatively peaceful, the last three and a half is called the Great Tribulation. In the first three and a half years, the Antichrist is revealed. And he makes a seven-year, or he confirms a seven-year treaty with Israel, peace treaty. And life is pretty peaceful, if you will, on earth. He's setting up, in all this time, he's setting up his one-world government. He's setting up a one-world currency, cashless. He's establishing a one-world religion, but it's all people are just kind of falling in line for it, and they're getting ready to do uh, whatever the Antichrist would demand. The second half of the tribulation is called the Great Tribulation, and that happens after the three-and-a-half-year mark because at the three-and-a-half-year mark, the Antichrist establishes himself in the temple that has been recreated where the Jews have been, for whatever reason they need to, they go back and they're offering animal sacrifices again in that first three and a half years, like in Old Testament days, Orthodox Jewish people. They're offering in the temple the t sacrifices to God, thinking that they're doing the right thing. And the, at the midpoint of the tribulation, the Antichrist sets himself up and then he calls himself God and he desecrates the temple. It's called the desolation of desecration. And at that point, the Antichrist says, no, your God is not real. I'm God. And he's fully revealed then, and now he is establishing himself as God. And that begins the three-and-a-half-year period called the Great Tribulation. That is truly apocalyptic. At that point in time, you just can't even begin. If you, if you want to read the books of Revelation towards the latter half, you'll see how the bold judgments and the wrath and all the things of God are poured out on earth, and it is just horrific. So there's seven years separating the rapture of the church from the second coming. And this time, Jesus actually touches down on earth. He comes on a white horse, and the armies of heaven are following him, and he comes now at the end of the tribulation, at the end of the seven-year period, 
He comes now as the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He comes back as a warrior God now, and he come, he's coming back with the purpose of defeating the Satan, defeating the Antichrist. That's where the Battle of Armageddon takes place, and that's where all of evil is destroyed, and the Antichrist and Satan and the false prophet are thrown into the abyss, thrown into the lake of fire at that point in time. And that begins then the thousand-year millennial reign where Christ rules on earth for a thousand years. Boy, I know I'm saying a lot. I know that. So let's review. Let's review. Timeline review here. The end days begin when Jesus ascended into heaven after spending 40 days or so on earth proving the fact that he was risen from the dead. All right? When he ascends to heaven, that begins the end days. And that's where we're currently living right now. We're living in the end day time period. The rapture of the church is the next major prophetic event to happen. And that's when the true church of Jesus Christ or the bride of Christ, as it's been described as well, is taken out of this world in an instant, instantly raptured. And we will meet Jesus in the air and taken to heaven to celebrate the wedding feast of the bride for a seven-year period, while the tribulation is going on down here on earth, we're in heaven celebrating the wedding feast for seven years. And that's when Jesus says, we took communion today. That's, he, that's when he said, I will not drink of the vine, the fruit of the vine again until I'm with you in my Father's house. And it's at that time during the wedding feast celebration that Jesus, listen to this, Jesus serves you and me communion. He does it. Pastor Rip did a great job today. But Jesus will do a little bit better <laughs> because he will actually serve us in the celebration feast. We will then enjoy one more time the fruit of the vine and the bread of heaven. And we will be celebrating our wedding feast for seven years in heaven. Amen. That's just going to be a great time. All right. All right. Now, the day of the Lord or the tribulation is triggered after the rapture is taken. After the church is lifted out and the Holy Spirit that is the great, great restrainer that's within us, that's within the church, when that's removed, that then begins the beginning of the tribulation period or the day of the Lord in this context. This is when the, Antich- the Antichrist will, will be revealed and he will establish a one-world government in the cashless society and so forth. He establishes the peace treaty with Israel at that, some point in time in there, he'll establish a mark of the beast, which all must take if you're going to con- conduct business. If you receive the mark of the beast, you're damned forever. If, you're, if, if those that are left here, and, and there will be those that will be saved in the tribulation, but they will be saved and probably have to be martyred for it. Not many. I, I, I don't know what it's going to be like. I, I've heard different teachings on it. I do believe that there will be time, there will be those saved. I don't know this. Some have said that if you had a chance to receive before the tribulation and you didn't receive, I don't know if you'll have an opportunity after. It's for those that maybe didn't really know, possibly. I don't know. But if you get saved in the tribulation period of time, obviously do not take the mark of the beast do not you you're going to have to go underground it's going to be severe punishment severe tribulation for those that are honoring christ and most will be beheaded the bible talks about that 
There will be tribulation saints, tribulation martyrs. The Jewish people will rebuild their temple. They'll establish their sacrifices again. The, uh, the Antichrist will, in the midpoint of the, of the seven-year period of time, he'll establish himself as God, and that begins then the, the second half of the tribulation period. And finally, after the seven, the, the seven years completed, then will come the second coming of Christ. So do you see the, do you see the rapture? Second coming. Two different events, right? We, we agree with that, understand that. The rapture he never touches down. The second coming, he does touch down, and then that's where um, he will um, battle Satan and the enemy, and he will destroy them in the battle of Armageddon. He will begin his millennial reign. Then after a 1,000 years, well, in that millennial reign, Satan is then cast into the abyss. So for a 1,000 years, he will have no, no um, influence. It'll be a perfect utopian world. Jesus will rule with an iron scepter, and it will be perfect for a 1,000 years. At the end of the 1,000 years, Satan will be released for a season so that he can go through the world and tempt those that would still re- want to reject Christ after a 1,000 years of perfect rule. And the sad thing is he will be able to do that to some people. You have to think about it, I guess, from the thousand-year period of time is a long time. And for those that are at, are, are, were born in the tribulation, or I'm sorry, born in the millennial reign, they will never have seen Christ as who he, like we see him today. So they're going to be living in a world of education. It's going to be a different world. It'll be perfect, but at the end of the day, Satan will still be released at the end to uh, roam the world one more time and deceive those, and he will. And then after that comes the white throne judgment, and that's when all that have ever lived, the sinners, the reject, the, the unbelievers, will be resurrected again, brought before God in a white throne judgment, and be judged for the final time. And then they and Satan and all others will be thrown into the eternal lake of fire, hell. What happens for us? God then recreates the new heavens and the new earth. Jerusalem comes out of heaven, sets down. The new Jerusalem sets down on Jerusalem, and that is the seat of God, and God rules from earth forever and ever thereafter because wherever God is is defined as heaven. That's where every tear will be wiped away, and every, uh, there will be no more tears, there will be no more sickness, no more sorrow. Forever and ever will reign with God in, on the new heavens and the new earth forever and ever. And that's a thumbnail sketch of what's going to happen in the near future. So now, let's move on. I want to go back and I want to reference the words of Jesus as recorded in Matthew about the rapture, the tribulations, and the second coming. This is important. I, I, want, I want to make sure you have facts here. So let's read Matthew chapter 24. And this is Jesus speaking. The disciples are asking Jesus, what's it going to be like? When is the end of the day going to happen? End of time going to happen? And Jesus replies this way, beginning at verse 3 of chapter 24, Matthew. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Verse 8, all these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to, to be persecuted and put to death, and you, you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will, and will betray and hate each other. 
and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So Jesus is describing here the condition of the world to the disciples just preceding the rapture, preceding the time when the day of the Lord will, be, will begin. And we need to read chapter 24 carefully because as you're reading through this, he kind of combines the prophecies of the tribulation in the rapture pre- period of time. So you've got to kind of discern the timing here of it. Turn to Matthew chapter 20, uh, the same chapter, but verse 32. And this is a passage where it kind of describes where we're at today. Matthew 24, verses 32 through 35, Jesus says, Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you will know that it is near right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying here that the lesson of the fig tree, quite often Israel is seen as a fig tree. And it's a figurative speech. So Jesus is referring here to the um, events that are going to happen just prior to the rapture and also all the way through the tribulation period in this passage right here. So when the fig tree is mentioned as budding in Matthew 24, it's inferred that it's talking about this event that would begin the final countdown of the prophetic time clock. And it says in verse 33, even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it's near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation... Basically, this generation that sees this time event will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. What is that time event that Jesus is talking about? What is this budding of the fig tree? Well, when Israel was destroyed, they were scattered throughout all of the nations, all of the world. On September 12th, 1948, Israel was reestablished as a nation. All of Israel was brought back. And on that date, September 12th, 1948, Israel becomes a state. And that is what many scholars believe is the major event that is described as the budding of the fig tree. And then it says, who sees that happen, the generation that sees that happen, will not pass away until all things have taken place. That is the rapture and the second coming. So a generation, listen, a generation in the Bible is described as a 70 to 80 year period of time. 1948, 2028 is 80 years. We are in 2021. Seven years from 2021 to 2028 is seven years of a rapture, of a tribulation, potentially. So why I'm saying that I believe that we are in the end days is because when you take a look at when did, when did the clock really start here again, started April, I'm sorry, September 12th, 1948. Let's continue to read chapter 24, verse 36. 
But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. That's the rapture. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. That's describing the rapture. So what I've just described to you, I am not setting a date. But I am describing the season that we're in. We can know the season. Because it said when the fig fig tree starts to bud, you know that spring is near. Summer is coming. We know the season. We just don't know the date. We're in the season of the rapture. Notice that we're living as in the days of Noah. What's happening around us? People are eating and drinking, living life, not even concerned about what's going on, just as in the days of Noah. Here in the days of Noah, they were watching Noah build this ark for 100 years, this crazy man out there building a boat, and they've never seen rain before. They saw all this happening, and they were living life, living large, living party and going on, calling this guy crazy, persecuting him, all this other stuff. What are they doing to the church? They're persecuting, living large, ignoring what we're saying. We're ignoring the messages. It's the same exact time frame as in the days of Noah. It will be like in the son of, when the Son of Man comes back. So Jesus goes on in Matthew chapter 24 at first, verses 42 and 44. He said, therefore, keep watch because you do not know what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Let's go back to our text today. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Jesus just described it. He just gave us the whole setting. And then Peter just puts the nail in it. This is the same thief that Jesus is referring to. Now, we may not know the exact day nor the hour of the rapture, but we certainly can know the season. And we are living in the season. And we're instructed by Jesus to be aware and keep watch so that the thief doesn't break in and steal your salvation. Jackie, would you come, please? So the hope that we have is that we know what we're in and we know the way to protect ourselves in the process. Will the rapture be a surprise event? Absolutely it will be. But it's going to be a surprise event like we can't believe. It's going to be so good for us because we're expecting it. We're looking forward to it. It's like a birthday party. I know it's coming and I don't know. It's a surprise birthday party. 
And when that comes, yeah, it's going to surprise us, but it's not going to disappoint us. However, the world, it's going to be a surprise to them too, but they're going to be left looking at a pile of clothes wondering what's going on. And then the Antichrist comes in and we all the stuff that's happening in the tribulation, all the stuff, it's just going to be a horrific time. Boy, to talk about hopelessness, for those that sat in the churches and heard this message over and over and over again and didn't believe it, you want to talk about hopeless? You want to talk about scared to death? When the person sitting next to him was just a pile of clothes? And you know, I've heard this all my life. I've heard this all my life. When I was a kid, I can remember the song. I wish we'd all been ready. Thank you. I can hear it in my mind. I wish we'd all been ready. Remember that song? Yeah, and the movie. I mean, I was 12, 13, 14. I'm 62 years old. Come on. It's that much closer, folks. This is real. It's going to happen. We need to preach this. We need to teach this. We need to be encouraged by it. So what do we do? What do we do? This is not a time of fear. This is not a time to doubt and disbelieve. This is a time that we have great hope and joy in what is coming. But this is also a time where we need to be busy sharing the gospel, sharing the good news with our friends and family that may not be ready. This is our time when we can go into the world and prepare and encourage others. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 through 13. It says, See to our brothers and sisters that none of you have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But here, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. This is where we mobilize. This is where we become the church outside of the walls. We go to those lost loved ones. Not a time of fear. Finally, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-18. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up with him in the clouds to meet him in the air so that we will be with the Lord forever. In verse 18, therefore, encourage each other with these words. Encourage each other for the fact that we're going to be caught up and we're going to be taken to heaven and we're going to celebrate forever and ever. So I just want to encourage you today. I want you to, be, I want you to know the season. I want you to know how serious it is to get our hearts right with the Lord. But don't fear over it. Go, be productive. Win others to Jesus. Tell others about Christ. And let's be the church. Can we do that? Let's be the church in this world that needs to be the, the salvation call. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your promises today. I thank you for your word today. I thank you, Lord, that you teach us so that we we don't have to be confused. We don't have to be fearful. That we can rather have joy and hope and we can encourage each other even more so as the day approaches. And I pray, God, that you would put people on our hearts today. I pray that you would burden our hearts with the lost. That we would have a sense of love for those that aren't ready that we would be that clarion call into the dark world, that we would be that light that shines bright. Help us, Jesus. Help us to do the things that we need to do for those that need to hear the gospel message one more time. Help us not to give up. Help us not to grow faint. Help us not to weary. But help us to trust you in all things. 
Help us to trust you for our salvation. And we give you glory. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jackie, let's sing the song of your time we're playing. Stand with me if you would. Now, if you're not sure that your heart is right with the Lord, you can be. All you need to do is ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. You need to know that you can be ready. You don't have to fear that day. You can look forward to that day. You can long for that day, and you can have a right relationship with Jesus. All it takes, though, is for you to say, Jesus, please forgive me. Please forgive me. Father, I thank you for that promise today. I thank you, Lord, that you would just give us that hope and that assurance. Thank you for your promises to us. Draw us closer to you day by day. Help us to know that you have everything perfectly in order. We just need to fall in line with you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed today. If you need prayer, we're here to pray with you. Amen.